Coast Church Charlotte. Praise the Lord, everybody. Put your hands together and give God a hand clap of praise. All right, I need y'all to tone it down now. Y'all having too much fun back here. Not, 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 not for y'all, but if y'all keep it up, I'm going to embarrass myself. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> um, all right. Uh, special treat on the way to church this morning. I was thinking about all the people I miss. And uh, Joel and Bridget are high up on the people that I missed. And I regularly guilt them about leaving and tell them they've absolutely missed the will of God, et cetera, et cetera. And they know it, but their hearts have been hardened. So we're going to, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, his, his career has him in Chicago. Maybe someday it'll have him back here. We'll let the will of the Lord work all that out. We love you. I sent them a text this morning just saying, uh, thinking about you, I miss you. Of all the young people who have lost their way. No, I didn't say all that. And I walk in over here and they're sitting right here. They were in town visiting and I didn't even know. So love you guys. Opportunities. It's not enough to be a part of the receiving of the church. We grow in Christian, the Christian kingdom by serving. The path to uh, spiritual progress is through serving. So two areas of need right now. Um, over 90% of the people who come to our church for the first time have already been watching us online. <laughs> Uh, I know that because for the years that I did First Steps, I asked every class how they heard about us, and over 90% found us online and watched us before they actually came and attended. If that's your not most uh, effective thing, then you have to care about it. You have to invest in it. And so the production team heard uh, that statistic, and starting with Pastor Mellix and all the way down, they jumped on excellence as a theme and as a goal, and we have put a lot of investment in making the reach of the church as effective as possible. And so we need people to help us operate cameras. Some Sundays, uh, we don't have camera operators. You don't have to know how to run the camera. You literally can just keep the person in the box. All of the technology is already set. But this enables us to have as far uh, production reach as possible. And uh, that's an area of service right there. Secondly, Pastor Lisa is starting a Celebrate Recovery uh, ministry here at First Church. There's already over 30 people signed up for it. There is a need in this part of the city. There's not, uh, this is an uncovered area of the city for Celebrate Recovery. Uh, it happens on Monday nights. Some of the people involved have children and they can't be in that class if their children are with them. Um, and so they need people who will, for approximately an hour, watch their children on Monday night so they can be a part of that, that class. We have to be willing to serve if we want to progress in the kingdom of God. It's not enough to receive. A faith that only receives is an immature faith that might be a mile wide, but it's only an inch deep. We have to serve. These are two examples. I'm going to do my best to continue to make you aware of opportunities. If any of you would be willing to serve in either of these ways uh, for production, for the camera work, uh, you can see Pastor Mellix, you can see um, uh, Brother Anth uh, uh, Andrew in the booth. Um, anyone else in production can help you get attached there. If you're willing to help, even if you can't do it, we're not asking you to do it every week, but even if you could do it once a month to help people get out of uh, the traps of their past 
uh, see Pastor Lisa, and uh, we want to serve others. Can I have a big first church? Amen. All of you watching online, thank you for joining with us. We're honored to have a moment of your time, and we are going to go to the word of the Lord together. Now, Matthew 28, and we will read at... I'm sorry, uh, Matthew chapter number 26. Thank you, Pastor Don, for uh, correcting me there. This is verse 30, chapter 26 of Matthew's gospel. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. That's a quite heavy thing to have pointed out to you in a moment of high spiritual feeling and experience, this high point of celebrating the Lord's Supper together, this high point of celebrating the Passover together, the Lord says to them, you will all fall away uh, because of me this night. It was one thing when they thought it was just one of them. In the uh, passage just before this, Jesus says, one of you, one of you will betray me. And uh, they asked him, they all asked him, uh, is it I? One after another, the Bible says, verse number 22, they were sorrowful. They began to say to him, one after another, is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Uh, there is a fundamental necessity in real pursuit of godly Christianity uh, rather than label Christianity or cultural Christianity. There is a real pursuit of examining our hearts, not judging other people's hearts. Let me say it to this side of the church, examining our hearts, not judging other people's hearts. Um, it's natural for us to be aware of the path people are on and perhaps to at some point decide that we're not going to the same place that they are going or in the same direction they are going and to in some way organize our relationships around people who are at least in some way mindful or respectful of the kind of people we're trying to be. But that's a very different thing than walking through life deciding who's saved and who's lost. Uh, that's very much the business of God. And if it were not for the redemptive work of Christ, none of us would be saved. There's no work of the flesh that makes us qualified. There's not even some theological algorithm whereby God owes us salvation. We know prophetically that in the day of judgment, there will be some who seem to demonstrate the fruit of Christianity and certainly demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus, but they failed to have an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They had a generalized relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, not an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the result of that, the result of that is the Lord has no oneness with them. He has no uh, unity with them. And he says this to them, I never knew you. Uh, so if we, all of us, are pursuing rightness before God, real holiness is not judgment upon others. It's asking, seeking, knocking within our hearts. The hard work is the stuff people cannot know and cannot see. It's how we live in the closets of our life. It's how we walk in the shadowy places of our life. It's not necessarily how we uh, present ourselves in the public sphere. I may talk more about that in just a moment. The hard work of the heart is saying, is it I, O oh Lord? Yes. Is there something in me that's not right? Uh, the spiritual says, um, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, 
Not Pastor Don. I mean, Pastor Don is standing in the need of prayer. But not Sister Venice. She does not need to stand in the need of prayer. I, I want you to see what I'm saying here. It's me, O oh Lord. Somebody say it with me like you mean it. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. But it's one thing to think about maybe it's Judas. I don't know exactly what Jesus was doing over there. There's something seems to happen. We dip the bread in the cup. I don't know what it means. Uh, we know from the Gospels there was some confusion there. It wasn't like Jesus shamed Judas. It wasn't like Jesus embarrassed him. You can read in the passages that the disciples are not exactly sure what is happening there. And right after that, after Judas, uh, as it were, goes his own way, there would be, if you did see, if you were close enough to him, if you were the part of the church that didn't need to gossip about, gossip about it because you were there and saw it, <laughs> um, there, there could have been this potential that you look down at that person. You kind of sneer at that person and the Lord hits you with this. Um, I'm not just talking about Judas here today. I'm talking about everybody. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. You will all fall away because of me this night. It's one thing to bear the heaviness in your spirit that one of you will betray me. It's something else to bear in your spirit that all of you will fall away. The difference, however, is betray is not an accident. Betrayal is a choice. Falling away is an accident. Betrayal is a choice. Some are going to walk away, but all of us are going to fall away. It's what happens next that determines who we become in the kingdom of God. Yeah. All right, so let's let's look into this. Uh, I'm preaching I'm preaching a spiritual e equilibrium, and I want to talk about it because in all of our lives, progressing toward the kingdom of God and being led by the will of God is very much an, an, an act that happens over the whole of our life, not just in the first few months of our life following after the direction of the Lord. It is the distance that counts, not the speed. It is the, it's he who endureth to the end, the shall be. Uh, it's not how fast you ran this week. It's whether or not you're still running next year. And sometimes we are our own worst enemy in pace setting. Now, the greatest marathoner in the world, I'm a kind of a fan of his. Uh, um, I struggle to pronounce his name uh, the right way, but Kapchogi, I think it is. Uh, he is the, he has got more records than anybody else. Um, he's stunning. And the only major he had not won happened this week, and it was in Boston. Boston's unique because so much of it is up and down on heels. It, uh, he already has all the records of all the flat ones. And on this one, um, there's unique because there's no pace setters. So you have to set your own pace. A lot of the other marathons, they have pace setters. And uh, they'll have uh, a vehicle or a pace setter. And you run with that pace setter so you know your pace. But they don't allow that at Boston. You have to know your own pace. And um, everyone expected him to win. He's the only man in history who has run a marathon in less than two hours. In less than two hours. That means, remember when no one could break the four-minute mile? No one could break. They said it was impossible to break the four-minute mile. Well, to run a two-hour 
marathon, you have to run 26 miles at four minutes, 30 seconds. <laughs> you're, ba- you're literally running almost as fast as they used to say was impossible to run. He is, he is a, um, Eli Kapchogi, I believe is his name. He's that, he's that good. Um, and uh, he lost his pace. He did not win uh, Boston. There's actually a video of him where he's ahead of a group and he's running ahead of them and he's looking back at them like, why are you guys going slow? Uh, but the guy who won actually is with them. Uh, he, greatest runner in the world, because perhaps I don't want to speak for him. I'm a fan, and uh, he's, a, he's a great individual and a great representative as far as athletes go. So I have nothing bad to say about him. Uh, but this challenge of pace, uh, there are some races that you have to find your pace, and if you don't, your talent won't save you. <laughs> if you can't find your pace, your ability won't save you. Your excellence won't save you. It won't matter if you could have done it faster if you lose your pace. <laughs> It's one thing to say Judas is going to betray us. It's something else to say you're all going to fall away. We're all going to need restoration. Let me say that again. No matter how talented you are, no matter how powerful your prayers are, no matter how strong you are in this trial you're facing this year, you're going to have to embrace restoration because everybody's going to fall away and we're going to have to wrap our arms around our redemptive hope and say, Jesus, you need know if I love you. Uh, so I, I, th- this is a kind of reflective message that I always feel a little guilty about preaching. It's always funner when you just can preach hope, faith, and joy, and you get everybody excited about that. And uh, it's always a little bit apologetic to ask people to examine their hearts and look at their lives and consider. Um, and I uh, confess, sometimes I feel a little bad preaching a very reflective message when I just could shout you up or get you to think about the goodness, the blessings, and the promise. And here I am saying, I'd like you to think about the fact that all of you are going to have to you're going to need an intimate relationship with restoration in your life. All of you are going to have to realize when you're falling away and you're going to have to catch yourself. You're going to have to say, no, that's not who I want to be. You're going to have to do it. I can't pray for you in your stead. I can only pray as though I wished good things for you. You're going to be the one who has to build an altar. You're going to be the one who has to find a prayer closet. You are going to have to embrace not just the kingdom, but your place in the kingdom. Because no one else can fill that place. Now, people come to church to all kinds of reasons. Uh, some people come to church because they have family. Some people come to church because they're guilty. Uh, not everybody comes to church every Sunday asking, is it me, oh Lord? I heard a funny story. I'm, I'm gonna, uh, this is kind of a terrible joke. I probably am gonna regret sharing this with you, but I'm already in the, stuck in it now, and you have to suffer. You hear about the drunk guy who came to church, came to a Catholic church. He saw the confessional, went into the confessional, and the priest was in the confessional with him, and uh, the priest was waiting for him to start talking and he knew the guy was drunk, knew he had staggered in. And uh, the priest said to him, uh, <clears throat> made it say nothing back. And the priest said, <clears throat> can I help you? <clears throat> you can speak whenever you would like. And the drunk man said, uh, sir, there's no sense bothering me. There's no toilet paper over here either. <laughs> I don't know why, why. See, I knew that was a slow burn one. <laughs> Lord help us. 
Oh, oh Lord. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have told that joke. Anyway, scratch that one from the record. Um, that was a little bit too real, wasn't it? <laughs> um, so... Sometimes you come to church and the preacher says, you need to look at your heart and you need to face this fact. You're going to have to pull a parachute cord because you're falling. Yes. You're not where you need to be. You're all going to fall away. The question is not if you're going to fall. The question is going to be now what? What happens after the fall? Uh, the story here is told where Jesus warns them all and he, he is in some way challenging them uh, to face this reality. Peter doesn't want to face it. He does not want to face it. He denies it. He says, Lord, I would never. Everyone else here could betray you. I will not betray you. And uh, Jesus says, okay, uh, but um, here's a truth for you that you won't like. Uh, before this night's over, before the rooster crows, awaken us for a new day. You will deny me three times. And Peter said, verse 35, even if I must die, die with you. Even if I must die, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. All the disciples said the same. Um, and so now uh, Peter starts out, well, let's go to the garden. They sing a hymn together. They go to the garden. My soul is heavy, Jesus says. Will you watch and pray with me? And uh, he begins to pray, but man, it's hard to stay awake. You've had a good meal. You're tired. You've been praising God all day, had the triumphal entry, and now it's the garden. And although there is a battle going on, you're blind to it, so you aren't troubled in your spirit. Oftentimes, ministry uh, and leading others is very much revealed by that, that there's a battle going on, but the people who should be troubled by it are sleeping, and the people who can't do anything but pray are the ones fighting the battle. <laughs> Uh, the battle oftentimes is within our own zeal for God. It's within our own challenge of the carnal and the spiritual. And so Peter falls asleep and the Lord wakes him up. Can't you, can, I know you could talk tough earlier, but can't you watch with me for an hour? And you guys know the story. Finally, he awakes to torches and soldiers. And it's not the Roman soldiers, the temple guard, but still trained soldiers. And uh, Peter leaps to his feet. And uh, you know the story. Peter decides he will fight. Uh, he decides he will risk it all. He's not a fighter. Um, maybe in the bare-knuckle brawl of the seashore, sure, but not in the trained combat of weapons and uh, weapon technology. And he pulls the sword that he has uh, begged, borrowed, or stole, and he uh, takes a swipe at a guy. And he's not used to trying to chop people's heads, so he's unprepared for the duck. And uh, he doesn't anticipate the duck. If he had spent much time sword fighting, he would anticipate the duck because duck is ducking is part of sword fighting, but he misses that part. He's not good at this. He's out of his zone, and instead of getting a head wound or a strike to the head, he cuts the servant's ear off. You know the story. Jesus stops him. Peter, you don't know what you're doing. You live by the sword. You die by the sword. I wish that the church world at large would understand that the very thing we try to use against others will ultimately be used against us. You don't have time for that. And so, but I'm telling you, it's coming. What we do to others is coming back to us. So be careful the laws you support because it's going to come back on us. Just, it may not be you, it may be your kids. 
And so uh, the reality of this is that uh, Peter, he, 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 gave, he did his best. That is the apex of his zeal, his willing, willingness to risk it all. But it doesn't matter how much you want it in a moment. What matters is can you keep wanting it over time? Can you keep the race when it goes long? Or do you fail to keep your pace? You misallocate your pace where, like Kipchoge, you are the most talented guy in the race, but you miss the pace. The pace setter is not there to help you. You miss the pace. And when it comes time to go, you've already spent too much of your cardiovascular potential. And even if you want it bad enough, doesn't matter. You've spent it. Do you see? And so here you see Peter, he's facing the limitations of his own, his own miss, his own error. And uh, now the Bible gives us this picture of Peter as they lead Jesus off. Uh, they give us this picture. Uh, then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, thy priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. Verse 58. And Peter was following him at a distance. How far did he go? He went all the way to the courtyard of the high priest. And where did he sit when he got to the courtyard of the high priest? He sat down with the guards. Just a little while earlier, he was with the disciples, but now he's with the guards. Earlier, he was with the disciples, and now he's with the guards. All of us are open emotional loops, and we're all influenced by the people we are with in our lives. If you hang out with depressed people, I've got bad news for you. Life's going to start seeming more depressing. If you hang out with sad people, bad news. Life is going to start seeming more sad. Uh, if you hang around with uh, fools, there's a high probability that you're either going to start doing foolish things or you're going to be sucked into foolish behavior because you are an open psychological loop and the people around you influence you. The number one thing you can do to change your behavior is start hanging with people who have already changed theirs. Uh, Peter was with the disciples, and when he was with the disciples, he was able to be strong. It's almost like he needed them to watch him display strength. I've seen so many church leaders like this, that as long as there's an audience, they can rebuke the devil. But in the isolation and the painful uh, loneliness of a challenge, a trial, it's much harder to be strong. I, I grew up in a pastor's home. Uh, my mom and dad are here today. I grew up knowing when there was difficulty. I knew, grew up knowing when the church was in trouble. But my mom and dad gave me every day the example of don't let them see you limp. And so no matter how bad things were, we would walk in on, there'd be 17 devils in the baptistry. There'd be 13 devils in the women's ministry. And there'd be one devil in the men's ministry. It's always more devils in the women's ministry than the men's ministry. Says so in the scripture, Nathaniel 16 and 4. Like devils everywhere. We'd walk into the house of God. My dad would be like, praise God, what a joy it is. What a mag. My mom would be on the organ like. <laughs> I'm like, my God, I know that we don't have money. I know that we can't pay our bills. I know they left the church. I know they're talking bad about you, but I can't. I grew up learning how to take it for the team. And if you're going to be in leadership, you better learn how to take it for the team because the team matters more than you. But you can't live there. You can take it 
for a little while, but you can't live there. Something's going to pay the price. It may not be you. It may be your family that pays the price, but something's going to pay the price. Somebody's going to pay. It ain't no free. I learned how to talk that way in Garinger. Uh, there's no free. It might be your kids that pay the price. It might be your marriage that pays the price. It might be your faith that pays the price, but there's no free. You have to restore yourself in the Lord. You need to find a place and say, spring up, oh well. And so Peter, he, he's, he's, as long as there's someone to watch him rebuke the devil, he's ready to pull a sword and fight. But you change the context of his trial, and he's not near as good at fighting, but the enemy will always give you your trial in a context you were not prepared for. Criticism will always come from the person from, from whom it hurts the most. When it rains, it pours. Life is streaky. And here, what does he say? Aren't you one of the followers of Jesus? No, 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 I'm not. No, I'm not. I think, I, I think, I, methinks thou doth protest too much. Um, I think maybe you might be one of the disciples of, of, of Jesus. No, me, <laughs> as if, little old me, you're crazy girl. You smoking crack. Mm, I don't know, you seem sketchy to me. And so then Peter knows how to let people know he's not a Christian. The way to let people know you're not a Christian is don't talk like a Christian. That's some of our problems. We don't talk like a Christian. Then we wonder why nobody knows we're a Christian. Don't have time to preach about that. So what does Peter do? He talks in a manner that he knows will convince them, and it works. Just like in your life, you talk in a manner. You talk fear. You talk doubt. You talk faith. I mean, uh, despair. People won't start calling you to pray for them when they're sick. Anyway, moving along. He fell, and uh, the, the interesting thing here is that uh, Peter serves as a, an example, a kind of a type put forward for us, uh, but there's a bigger problem. When Jesus is taken, the Bible says they all forsook him and fled. They all went into isolation. They all went from that mutual supporting community of faith. Uh, they went to uh, spiritual isolation, and this struggle of balance in our spirituality is in some way directly related to our connection to other people. So um, let me try to give you an example here um, that will will help you. I am, uh, you, you guys don't know this, but I, I'm a great, great gymnast, and um, I am able to balance on one foot for extended length of time. And um, so if I just stand right here, I, I, can, I can do this all by myself. I can, wait, excuse me, let me I need a second chance here. Um, I, I, it seems like as you get older and the bubble gets in the middle, your balance starts going downhill. I don't know how that works, but um, you know, I can stand here for a very, very long time. My balance is, is very strong. In fact, I can just preach like, 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 like this. And um, um, I, why, why do you, you see I'm, I'm having a bit of a problem here. Balancing on foot's pretty hard. Does any of you think you can do better than me? Does anybody here think they can balance on one foot better than me? <laughs> You? you, I just saw you look at me. You said I can do it. You can't. Do, you you don't want to do it. Oh, okay. Yeah, that close. That close. That close. Um, I, I. So, when I lose spiritual equilibrium, this is what my walk of God looks like. I'm always this far away from falling. 
oh, I hope they preach good today. I really, really need it. I need it. I need it. I don't have any spiritual balance in my life. My equilibrium is a little bit off. And man, if they sing my song, I'll be okay for a little while. Now, how could I fix this problem really, really easy? Are you ready for this? Why do I have balance now? I'm connected. I'm connected. Some of you serving God like this. Maybe I'll date him after all. He seems like a nice guy. Oh, I know what happened last time, but I'm going to keep dating him because he's so fine. Oh, oh. I hope Bishop prays for me because I'm not doing I'm hoping. Watch. Does anybody get that? Yes. This is you. I don't know. Connection changes equilibrium. Famous preacher. I've got my heart rate up doing all that, so now I can't preach anymore. Famous preacher, Charles Spurgeon. He had a man come into his office. He was a 19th century pastor in London. Uh, pastored Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. Still there, still an operating church. When I save up some money and go to London, I'm going to go there. And I'm going to take a selfie there. And you all better like it. I'm, we're going to have words when I get back. Um... He had a man come in his office and say, Pastor, I, I'm not going to be a part of the church anymore. I'm still going to be a Christian. I still believe. But I'm not going to be a part of the church anymore. And I just want to let you know. Because it was the 19th century and London was warmed by coal. <laughs> this is back. They had already cut all the trees down around London. Everybody used coal. And had coal wagons that delivered every house and coal boxes. Uh, I'm older than I look. <laughs> That's funny. I don't care what y'all say. Nobody left. So he just reached out with his tongs while the man was talking, and he found the, the brightest coal, the largest, brightest coal in the fire. And he just took it out, and he set it on the edge and listened to the man talk. Say why he didn't like the church anymore, why people in the church weren't perfect. And, uh, he knew of this going on and that going on, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Spurgeon just listened to him. Just let him talk. And finally... When the man was all talked out, Spurgeon said, I hear you, I hear you. Um, did you notice the coal that I took out of the fire? Did you notice it was the biggest, brightest one in the fire? You notice I put it over here? What happened to it? The man said, well, if you took it out of the bed of coals, and so it, it turned into a charcoal. And um, that was the lesson Spurgeon gave the man. Not going to fight with you. But no matter how bright you are and how big you are and how hot you are, if I take you out of the body of Christ, you're going to be influenced by something. You can't close the doors to who you are becoming. Whatever you are feeding into your soul is who you are becoming. 
So the question that should challenge all of us is what are we feeding our souls? You're all going to fall away. Now what? Peter, when he's with the brethren, is ready to risk it all in a fight. Put him with the guards. I don't know Jesus. Same guy, same night. Same guy, same night. There is something that is so powerful about isolation that whether or not you want to look at it in terms of faith, like a preacher preaching a message, whether or not that's how you want to look at it. If you want to simply look at it in the field of scientific papers done on isolation, let me give you four categories where there is valid statistically significant studies that show harm through isolation. First of all, mental health is harmed through isolation. Secondly, physical health is negatively harmed by isolation. Huge study out of the UK a couple years ago, people who are socially isolated are substantially higher risk of developing everything from high blood pressure, heart disease, weakened immune systems. They can control for everything else in the statistics and they still have damage, limits placed upon their physical health. Number three, scientific studies, cognitive function directly affected by isolations. Our brains become less active, less able to process information, less capable of managing this, the, the, the waves of emotion that come through our lives. And number four, productivity. Isolation leads across all studies to decrease productivity. How and why? People lose motivation and they lack inspiration when they're isolated. And therefore, we find it difficult to stay focused and motivated when we do not have connection. Spiritual equilibrium can feel like this. It can feel like you about to fall. One crisis to another. I almost slipped this week. Oh, almost fell. Oh, it's not even Monday yet and I'm already struggling. One connection. Wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there I will be among them. My challenge to everyone from me to the ushers at the door, my challenge is this. If we're all going to catch ourselves falling away, we're not walking away. That's what Judas did. Betrayal is a choice. He walked out, the Bible says, and it was night. Uh, That's not what Jesus says to the disciples. Different words in the Aramaic. He says, you're going to fall away. You're going to be influenced. You're going to be tired. Can somebody say, hmm, that was for you. You're going to be tired. You're going to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. You're going to get frustrated that you're in your 40s now and you have the same stinking problem. And you're going to get weary. And you're going to say, enough already. You're going to fall away. But God's not going to let you simply fall away. He's placed something in your night to wake you up. And Peter cursed so they would know he wasn't a follower of Jesus. And the Bible says, at that time, a rooster crowed and said, good morning, world. The rooster didn't know he was a prophet. 
All he knew was the sun was coming up. But God had strategically planted a moment of conviction in the heart of Peter who had fallen away. God will place something in your life to wake you up. You will have to argue around the crow of the rooster in your life. You will have to justify why you're no longer a part of a body of believers. You'll have to make up a story or define a story or embrace a story. Even if it's true, you still have to make a commitment to it. How the church did you this and how the brethren did you this and the sister and everyone knows the sister and are a bigger trial than the brethren and the sister and did you this and here you are. You understand what I'm saying? You had to choose that story and you know why everybody you meet has a story? Because it's the only way they can stop hearing the rooster crow. They talk over the small sign that God said, I told you you were going to fall. Satan hath desired to sift you. But I... I've prayed for you. Jesus is more committed to you than you think he is. Jesus is more committed to you than you ever imagined he was. He knew you were going to fall, and he still chose you. He knew it was going to be embarrassing, and he said, that's okay, I choose you. He knew there was going to be ups and downs and downs and ups, and he said, I choose you. Satan has desired you. He wants to test you. I have prayed for you. Peter, don't take what started as a fall and turn it into a choice. Come on now. Don't take a tough summer or a tough winter and turn it into a choice. Don't take a bad decision and make a way out of it. Peter, listen to the soloist God has placed in your ear and reminding you that he knew you were going to do it and he chose you anyway. Let the message be more than you're a sinner. Let it be you're a sinner. And Jesus knew you were a sinner and he still chose you before you had embarrassed yourself, before you had dropped the ball, before you had made a mess on top of a mess. He chose you. Peter, I know you're going to weep bitterly. I know you're going to question everything, but Jesus isn't giving up on you just because you fell away. Don't turn what started as a fall into a life choice. The just man falleth seven times. The just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. I've come to tell you today, don't let a fall turn into a choice. You haven't been praying the way you ought to pray. Welcome to the club. If we had a sign-up club for that, there would be no shortage of names written like is John Doe right on that list. Let me tell you, he knew. Don't turn a falling away into a walking away. Isolation is almost a surety to create spiritual disequilibrium in your life. You once were here. Here I stand. 
here I stand. I've done all, so now I'm just going to stand. Done everything I can do, and now I'm just going to stand. Don't turn that into this. I've got no connection. Every week is a tragedy. Every week is an almost quitting church. Every make some connection with somebody. Get together with the disciples. The angel tells them, go find the disciples and look for Peter. Make a point to find Peter. Now, as I finish up, musicians, you can come. Uh, and then we're going to pray together in the manner of our church and our church culture. Uh, we always pray together. It's not enough to know. We have to present our hearts vulnerable to God. And so uh, here is my, my last point I would like to make to you. I almost entitled this message today, How the Church Became the Church. Um, and I wanted to entitle it that because um, when you read the story of the New Testament church, you find there is this, 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 not just the things God did, you see things that the church did. Now, I cannot do what God did. God does not ask me to do what he did. God gives me what he did as a gift and asks me to do what I can do because I am a recipient of what he has done, do you see? I don't live in some type of uh, sir, uh, in, uh, slavery. I live in some type of choice. I, I'm not uh, here by threat. I choose to be here. And so uh, there's what God alone can do, and then there's what we can do. How did the church become the church? I could preach what God did. You would know that. I could preach the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. I could tell you what Christ did, but you would not necessarily um, understand your part in what he did other than believing. But when you look at what the New Testament church did, you can begin to see how the church became the church. And I think the clearest summation of that in a categorical manner is found to us and uh, found in Acts chapter number two, verse number 42. When after the day of Pentecost was fully come, after they have tarried seeking the outpouring of the spirit, after Peter has stood up and he's preached repentance and the gospel of hope to the audience there. And after they have demonstrated that sign, that miraculous sign of God's presence, which is a sign of another tongue, stammering lips and another tongue, which is part of the promise of the Holy Spirit in our life. All of this has happened. Now Peter does what he preaches to the church. And this is the beginning. Well, let me restate that. He preaches to the crowd. And in that crowd, the Bible says some believed. Didn't say everybody believed. It said some believed. And so on this first few days of the church, some believed. Uh, some mocked, some didn't believe, but some believed. The church is always made up of whosoever will. Some believe. And so uh, the Bible tells us in verse 42, and I, I, I took the liberty of reading a bunch of different translations uh, to see how different translators worded it uh, to try to get the categories, not just the verbs, but the categories. And having done that, I, I've got three categories of actions that the New Testament church did. Uh, and you can put them in these three categories, the word, worship, and one another. They were devoted to the word. They were devoted to worship and they were devoted to one another. You could call it the three devotions of the New Testament church. They were devoted to the word. They were devoted to a heart of worship and they were devoted one 
to another. Had God already done great things? Yes. What did they need to do? They needed to be devoted to the word. They needed to be devoted to worship and they needed to be devoted one to another. If they isolate, the church becomes something other than what it was meant to be. If they separate, the church becomes something other than what it was intended to be. And if we want to live the same kind of spiritual life that they lived, I would suggest to you that there's a very high probability, (laughs) almost a certainty, you might would say, that we need to make three devotions in our walk with God. The first devotion is to his word. We are not simply adopting whatever is the common ideal of our generation, the the common ethic uh, of our generation is not is not enough. We're not just a ethics committee. We believe in the life, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see, we have to be devoted to the word of God. We have to be devoted to a worship culture. None of us did anything worthy of salvation, but God in his great mercy moved all the barriers. He brought low the high mountains of sin, and he lifted up the valley, the deficit of human righteousness that we might stand before Calvary on the level ground of new hope. This is a house of worship. We are people of worship. It's one of the three core first church devotions. First to the word, second to worship, third, devoted one to another. My life is a bit of a mess when I try to do it all by myself. When I try to balance in my, oh, if I just had a brother. I could stand a lot longer if I just had a brother. I could be a lot stronger if I just had a sister. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching now. If I had someone else who knew what it feels like to have a bad Monday morning, maybe my equilibrium would be a little bit better. If I wasn't the only one in the house who knew what it was to feel like the biggest loser that ever walked, and sometimes I feel like that. If there wasn't someone I could call, this is my Christianity, it's my faith. Oh, let me make a... Stand with me all across the house. I want us to do a little different prayer time here today. I'd like you to find some people around you, just a circle, two or three, four, five people. And I'd like you just to turn around and I'd like us to be social in our prayer here. Now, if you're uncomfortable in this, you don't have to participate, but the rest of us aren't uncomfortable. So I'd like you to turn around and, and, and find one or two people, take their hand. If you don't know the person beside you, I'm gonna give you a second here to kind of introduce yourself. I want you to form some prayer circles, some prayer groups all across the church. We're not gonna pray in isolation today. We're gonna pray unified, connected one to another. I want you to feel that person beside you as somebody who can help you balance. They can help you recover. They can keep you from falling. They can bless you by helping your spiritual equilibrium all across the house right now. I want us to pray right now. Open our heart before the Lord. Let's turn this whole house into the sound of an intercessor's prayer meeting 
where you pray for the people you're beside. First of all, I want you to pray that God would be with them in their uncertainty. The person you're standing beside, would you pray that God would be with them in the confusion of their life? Whatever they're facing that is painful, whatever they're going through that is hurtful, I want you to pray a prayer of spiritual intercession on their behalf. I speak a wholeness to you, my brother. I speak a spiritual wholeness to you, my sister. I speak the unction of the holiness of God into your life right now. I rebuke the devil in your life, my brother, my sister. I rebuke the lies of hell in your in your mind, my brother, my sister. I stand with you. You are not alone. You are not facing your struggles of doubt and fear alone. I know what it feels like to wrestle with doubt and fear. You're not facing your worries about spiritual ineffectual uh, ability alone. I know what it feels like to be spiritually ineffective. I know what it feels like to wonder if I've made a bad decision. You're not alone, my brother, my sister. I'm here to tell you, let let everything I've gone through make you stronger here today. Let my trip to the hospital make you stronger when you go to the hospital. Let my doubts, my tears make you stronger when it's your tears on your face. You are not alone. You are not isolated. The Holy Spirit of God is the bridge builder between you and your, your church family. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.